is worthy of all the glory, all the praises, and all the honor. I love to worship him, love to praise him. I love to pour out my soul before him because I love to let him know I appreciate him. We're grateful to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. And we come tonight to experience the presence of the Lord. We come tonight to be taught and instructed in the word of God. It's always a great opportunity. I pray the next few weeks as we get into the word of God, we will not just obtain information, but we will allow the transforming power of the word of God to transform us. And we will take what we're being instructed and apply it to our lives to use it to challenge our own lives help others, I believe that we will see a mighty move of God in our lives. Amen. I wanted to make a statement before we get into prayer, or maybe we will be able to mention what I'm going to say uh, in our prayer tonight. And as a leader, uh, I've heard it said that leaders have to have something to say about everything. I don't really agree with that because I don't like to talk about everything. There are some things I just don't want to talk about. But from what I'm told sometimes and some of the things you've read, there's some things you don't want to comment on that you have to comment on because you're a leader. And the reason why you comment on it is because there are people that you're connected to that you want to make sure you provide proper instructions to them. They can do whatever they want with it, but at least it's required of the instructor, the teacher, the pastor to equip with the proper instructions and understanding and knowledge, and then you will do whatever you will with it. So I believe that I, I do have something to say before we go into prayer. And I do, I do want to say something about um, the events that has transpired at, at the nation's capital. Uh, we, we, by now, all of us have seen some portion of it, uh, what happened yesterday. But here is what I do want to say to us as Christians, as church. Here is what I want to say. The events that took place at our nation's capital yesterday had to stir our emotions in ways that was and still is challenging to us. There's still people reeling from this. There's still people emotionally unstable because of what transpired. Coming to terms with what happened yesterday, surely, with that said, be careful how you express your feelings about those events. Yes, we are humans with strong emotions. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is 
in the world. And so while we all, all of us, have strong emotional uh, connection to the, the events, we have to make sure we tap into greater who is in us. Because your emotion can take you in different ways. We also have the Word of God that tells us, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So while our emotions are kind of all over the place and our emotions are being challenged right now, we have to think of those two scriptures. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So before you get loose and do something and say something, you want to think about those two texts and meditate on them and pray about them. If you're not careful, your expressions of these events can add fuel to the fire. Your expressions can offend. Your expressions can hurt others and then detract from your credibility as a Christian. And one thing I always say as a Christian is when you are trying to reach lost people and you make some missteps, boy, it's hard to repair that because as a Christian, what you're trying to live life from is credibility. And it's a shame that you can spend many years building up credibility, living your life for Christ the right way. And because your emotion got out of control and you didn't harness it by allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work in you and through you, you make a lot of errors and say a lot of things that are hurtful, that hurt others, and you offend others. Sometimes it's not because what you have to say is not right why you don't say it. You can have something right to say, but it still doesn't mean that you say it. I can be right about something, but if I know it's going to hurt, I just stay quiet. We don't need to prove that we're right. We just need to live for God. And so our concerns as Christians about these events should be for a lost and broken people. Our concerns as Christians about these events should be about lost and broken people. And let's not go to the place where we're saying, I thought they were saved. What happened? Why? That's not what I said. I said our concerns should be because I may look like I'm saved when I'm around you. I may talk like I'm saved when I'm around you. But do you know if I'm really saved? When we are alienated from Jesus Christ and not in right relationship with him, 
We are self-centered. We are prideful. Our morals are corrupted, and we are unrighteous. By the way, our morals and righteousness comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to know if your morals are correct, you check with him, his word. If you want to uh, walk in righteousness, you need to live according to his ways. And so when we're alienated from Christ, we're self-centered. We're prideful. Our morals are corrupted. And on and on and on. We don't get morals from our education. We don't get morals from our intellect. We don't get morals from our upbringing. We don't get morals from our ignorance. We receive morals from the Lord. Now, if someone taught it to you from an early age, then great. But where morals originated and righteousness originated is with God Almighty. That's where you get it from. And if you don't get it from there, you don't really have it. And so, I am not surprised of the actions that comes from ungodly, unsaved humans. I'm not rocked. I'm not surprised by the act of ungodly, unsaved people. Because when you're ungodly and unsaved, you have no idea the things that you will do. When you're ungodly, unsaved, you have no restrictions. And so when you behave as an ungodly human, there are things that you will do that you will say probably later on. How in the world did I do that? And so what we must do as Christians about the events is pray for the lost and the unsaved. One woman lost her life, is uh, what I get to understand. Four people lost their lives. Where do you think they're going? Are we okay with that? Are we okay with saying, good? Nobody should have to leave, lose their life and go to hell, separated from Christ. And so the bottom line is, if we can't find in ourselves, within ourselves as Christians to say, my God, I know that's not right what they're doing. But, Lord, will you have mercy on them and open their eyes? We need to pray for the lost and the unsaved. We also need to pray for us and ask the Lord Jesus to show us how we can make a difference in a godly way in their lives that people will know who Jesus is and that their life will totally be transformed and they walk in righteousness and truth. That's what we need to pray about. Everything else is rhetoric to me. Everything else, I understand. Get your emotions out. Last night we had our leadership call like we do every Wednesday night. And I said, if you feel like you need to get your frustrations out, get it out on this call, on our Zoom meeting. That way, we are all Christians. We love each other. And we're not going to make you feel uncomfortable. Just get it out if you have to get it out. Because I'd rather you get it out around me than this world that we're trying to let them see Christ in us. And that's where we lose it at. So pray about those things and not worry so much about the act. And worst off, 
Don't speak words that take sides. Don't speak them. Whether they're right or wrong, don't speak words that take sides. That's adding fuel to the fire. Because when does it stop? When does it stop if one uh, side does this and the other side, oh, really? Okay. Well, and, and we just keep going. When does it stop? And the only way it stops is when someone, uh, the, the, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers mean you are to do something to make peace. It didn't say blessed are, it says blessed are the peacemakers, key word. So if we are Christians, we will look for a way to make peace. And if we start saying things and doing things that get that fire uh, burning hotter and, and get people all riled up, we're not being very good Christians. We're not being very good Christians. And I'm saying all of that understanding that you're humans with strong emotions. I'm saying all of that understanding. I'm not telling you you should have strong emotions about what transpired. I'm just telling you how we should view this and how we should move forward in this as Christians. Let's stand. We're going to pray tonight. And keep those things in mind that I just mentioned as we pray. Our nation needs prayer. They need to know who Jesus is. And we need to do a better job in exemplifying Jesus around us. Never just one. Husband and wife don't get into disagreement and it's just one. The only time it's one is when it's between us and the Lord. Because he's always right, and we oftentimes are wrong. The only time. But all the other times, it's always both parties, both groups, both whatever. They're contributing to the fact of what's happening. So we, as Christians, need to pray, God, forgive us, for maybe we're just not letting our light shine enough. Maybe we're not doing enough. Maybe we're not loving enough. Maybe we're not exemplifying your kindness enough. Maybe we're not being good witnesses for you by telling people who you are. Maybe we're not doing that good enough, Lord. Will you help us tonight? And then ask God to touch their hearts, that as he begins to use us, they will begin to receive and respond to his word, to his truth, to his spirit moving in their life, and maybe we'll see a great revival in our land. Will you pray with me tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we are just so thankful for the privilege to come to you together tonight in prayer. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We've always said, Lord God, that without you, we are nothing. We can do nothing without you. Lord God, it is in you do we live and move and have our being, oh God. Lord, you're the one that have kept the breath of life in our bodies and Lord, we're able to breathe the breath of life because you have sustained us. Oh, God, tonight we've come touching and agreeing for the need that your people, this nation has, almighty God. For, Lord, we have sinned and corrupted our ways in so many instances, Lord God, and we're missing out, Lord God, on your goodness. 
Lord God. But tonight we as a church, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, asking that you will hear us, Lord God, and grant to us what you want to grant to us and command us and direct us in the way you want us to go. We're asking, Almighty God, that you will forgive us as your people. For God, we may not have modeled the right example, Lord God, in this world for people to know who you are. We might, oh God, have neglected, Lord, our responsibilities as Christians to be a witness, to be an encourager, to be a blessing to others, Lord God. And so tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you will forgive us. And we ask, Lord God, that you will move us by your spirit and by your word to be able, almighty God, to be a better witness in this world to show more love in this world, Lord God, to be able, Lord Jesus, to lead as examples in this world. I pray, Father, that this church and the church of the living God as a whole, Lord God, will stand in this hour and let their light shine bright before men and show our good works that you may be glorified and that the people that are lost will be saved. There are people that are lost. There are people people that are broken. There are people that are bruised. There are people, Lord God, who are ignorant and don't know the way and don't know who you are. But tonight we're praying in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you will open their eyes to see, oh God, that you will touch their mind for them to, oh God, respond to your revelation, respond to your word. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that there will be a revival that will sweep this nation uh, and that God we will see the signs uh, wonders miracles uh, and demonstration uh, from on high uh, oh God we yield our members to you uh, and we surrender ourselves to you uh, and we say God do uh, what only you can do uh, God move uh, the way you want to uh, oh God just speak to us uh, and show us what we must do uh, and order our steps in the ways uh, that we must go uh, we pray tonight uh, in the name of Jesus, uh, that your peace uh, will sweep this land uh, and your joy will flood the souls uh, of man uh, and that deliverance will come uh, and salvation will come uh, and restoration will come uh, and joy and peace uh, will come. Uh, oh God, to all of us, Lord. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll bless our time uh, together in our Bible study tonight, Lord God. Uh, I pray for revelation uh, and understanding. Uh, I pray that we will hear uh, and do what the word of God is instructing us to do. Anoint me and use me. Touch our hearing to hear. And Lord, let your will be done. We come before you tonight asking and petitioning all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for praying with me. You may be seated. Turn your Bibles. Amen. Well, you don't have to turn your Bibles. We'll get right into the Word of God. Amen. Appreciate everyone joining us tonight. Those of you that are here and those of you that joined us virtually, we appreciate you joining us. Amen. I am going to talk to you for the next few weeks on this topic, the cycle from death to life to maturity. 
the title, the cycle from death to life to maturity. The cycle from death to life to maturity. Amen. God always revealed a heavenly pattern to be used in building his dwelling place. He revealed his heavenly pattern for his dwelling places when dealing with the tabernacle, when dealing with the house or the temple. There's always a heavenly pattern to what God is saying, what he's telling us, what he's showing us that we must do. There's always, he's operating from a heavenly pattern or should I say a spiritual pattern. And so we do things from that vantage point because a lot of the heavenly patterns we don't understand. And so, as he revealed things to us, he shows us in the natural, but it's originated from the spiritual. Jesus taught in parables using the natural realities we are familiar with to demonstrate spiritual truth we have not yet seen. Jesus taught in parables using the natural realities we are familiar with to demonstrate spiritual truth we have not yet seen. So for instance, if you read John chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, when Nicodemus met Jesus, Jesus told him, you must be born again. Born again is a natural reality to us because all we can think of when we hear born is a child being born, physical, natural. We can think about a baby being born. And Jesus used that natural reality because he was going to, he's trying to get Nicodemus to understand a spiritual truth. So that's just one example. There are plenty, plenty of examples. Scriptures show us that the natural realities we know are just representation of heavenly realities we have not yet seen. So you will hear me say, or if you study and, and go through the, the Bible or other preachers, you'll hear us talk about figures, patterns, shadows, and it's because we're talking about things that give us an earthly reality, a natural reality of a heavenly thing. Something that we are understanding right now, but we will see a greater understanding or experience a greater revelation of it as we go forward. So there's always figures and patterns and shadows of things that we don't understand, just our very limited understanding that we may have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 12, the word of God says this, 
for now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part, this is Paul talking, but then shall I know even as also I am known. What is Paul trying to say to us? Let me help you out tonight. Most believers present spiritual understanding, or should I say, most believers have spiritual understanding like a minor have of light. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'll help you in a second. Most believers see very poorly right now spiritually. Comparing to what we will understand when we see Jesus, most of us right now, our, our vision and understanding of spiritual things are very poor. Right now, we only know in part at the time of Jesus' return, we shall know fully. So if you want to look for another reason to, to, to go to heaven, you want to look for another reason why you should live for God, is because the things you know right now is minuscule. The things that you know right now are very limited. But if you follow Jesus and live out his words, when you get to heaven, you will know everything that you didn't know, that you wanted to know. Why is this? Why is this this way? And what? I have no idea because I don't know that much spiritually because that's what the Bible says. I see through a glass darkly. It means I have limited understanding and limited view on what I see spiritually. No matter who you think are the greatest at understanding the scriptures, limited. I don't care who they are. They're limited in how they perceive and understand spiritual things because that's just the way it is. As a matter of fact, I will go as far as to tell you sin has gotten in the way of that for the most part. So because we were born into sin, we can't see straight. We don't have the perception and understanding that God intended for us to have because we sin. Adam sinned. So you understand why I made this statement that I made before when we started. I'm trying to tell you, when people are in their sins, think of us Christians. We're born again. We're doing our best to walk in truth. We have the Holy Spirit in us, which is the light. And we still can't see clearly. So what do you think about people that's not born again? This is why I can't get worked up about who is right and who is wrong and what who is doing and who is not doing because I'm realizing that until they get born again, they are in trouble. And even when they're born again, they're still limited in their spiritual understanding. Can we get our mind, our heart in that place so it will make it so much more easier to look at things in our world the way I just things happen in our world, we will deal with it better and different when we understand, man, we are not perceiving spiritual things. No, we're close. 
to what it is. This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7, this is why the Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now you understand the importance of walking by faith and not by sight. Because if you trust your sight, you're going to be lost because we are already limited in how we perceive and understand. We will never really know by sight. It's by faith that we live and walk, and we have limited understanding even by faith. So can you imagine walking by sight? You're just running into just walls all the time. You're just falling in ditches all the time when you walk by anything other than faith. The scripture teaches us types using natural realities to demonstrate spiritual truth. We'll continue to say that throughout this lesson. So here are some examples again. Here's some types. And here's our reality. A type. Melchizedek. He was a high priest. Some of you might know about him way back in Abraham's day. To us today, our reality of him is Jesus Christ. The Passover. It was a type. Today, the crucifixion, our reality. Old Testament. New Testament. Law written on stone. Law written on our hearts. The tabernacle. The church. The temple. Our body. Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, promises, fulfillments, there's always types and realities. The natural comes first in our experience, and this is why the Lord kind of have to work backwards with us, because we are familiar with the natural, not the spiritual. So he has to get us to the spiritual by allowing us to understand what we're familiar with. So he draws from what we understand and know to teach us spiritual things. That's usually how he teaches, and we can see that when he teaches through parables. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 44. The word of God says this. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Sister Patrice was teasing the other day and says, Lord, we get to heaven and Daniel is fat. It's not possible because Daniel have a spiritual body. Well, if you want to get technical, Daniel is dead and in the presence of the Lord. And when we all get to heaven, we're all going to have a spiritual body, which will be perfect. Uh -huh. No high blood pressure, no overweight, no none of that stuff. But we want to get to heaven. My goodness. We're going to have a great body, perfect body. Verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. 
Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. Well, you're right there. Natural comes first, then comes the spiritual. The first man is of the earth. He's earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Verse 49. And as we have to born the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So there is, heaven is incorruptible. It's perfect and pure. It's holy. And so that's, that's why we have to be holy. That's why we have to live a righteous life because we can't enter there any other way. So all the corruptible things that we're doing here, that prevents us from being there. So we need to really get ourselves together and help others get themselves together so we truly can one day spend eternity in heaven with Christ. These lessons that I teach them is for us to examine ourselves and say, where am I in this? What's going on with me in this? How, how, do, how, how is this word speaking to me? And what do I need to do about what I'm hearing? Not just hear it. Because you're going to hear some good stuff. <laughs> and you will be challenged to use the good stuff as knowledge. stuff in that conversation and be like, how do you know all of that? That's cool. But I'm not dropping no knowledge on anybody that I'm not living. So I just hold my tongue until I'm living it. <laughs> then I drop the knowledge on them. So I'm telling you, you're going to get some good stuff here. Take it. Apply it to your life. Live it out. And then you can share it with others. Because it's when you have lived it out you can share it with others because now you've experienced it. I don't want to share just intellectual knowledge. I want to share life experiences because that's where you're going to help somebody is when you're sharing with them life experiences and not just intellectual knowledge. And so when we come together, whether it be in our normal worship service or Bible study, you're going to be taught in the Word of God. But you can let it just be intellectual knowledge or you can let it become life experience. And when it becomes that and you share it with somebody, that's when it's powerful, isn't it? When you're talking it, they can feel power coming from you because what you're saying to them has already happened to you. Oh. Mm -hmm. The natural, born of the flesh, the spiritual, born again. The natural, so in corruption, the spiritual, raising in corruption. The natural, so in dishonor, the spiritual, raised in glory. 
The natural, sow in weakness. Spiritual, raise in power. The natural, sow a natural body. The spiritual, raise a spiritual body. The first man, natural again, a living soul. The last man, a quickening spirit. The first man, obviously a man. The second man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we can find all of these comparisons, natural realities, spiritual truth. And so when we study our Bible, we need to think about those things as we try to learn what God is trying to say to us. There should be a natural, physical illustration of the spiritual truth of the plan of salvation and spiritual maturity. Say that again. There should be a natural, physical illustration of the spiritual truth of the plan of salvation and spiritual maturity. So, I challenge you all the time, and you hear me say this all the time. When you walk up to someone that is a Christian and you say to them, hey, you know, I was just thinking, if I wanted to give my life to God and be a Christian and be saved, what do I need to do? I say it all the time. A lot of people that are Christian, they can't explain to you clearly what you need to do. That's a truth. You want to try it? You can try it. Just walk up to someone that's a Christian and say, hey, man, or hey, sis, or, you know, friend, or whatever. I want to really give my life to God. And I want to be a real Christian. And I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? And you won't get a clear, good answer. They're going to tell you a lot of things. Well, you got to have faith. Okay, but that means, well, you got to believe. Yeah, but I believe. I don't feel like I'm saved, but I believe. I know Jesus is God and so you can go on and on, and you'll say a whole lot of little stuff to them, and it still won't make a difference because it's not the way. You're not explaining to them the way. You're just giving them some stuff you heard. First thing we need to think about is whatever we're going to explain to them, is there a natural reality that you can show them and then say, and so to be born again spiritually, here is it. Or you're explaining anything to them spiritually and you're trying to get them to understand, well, here is a natural reality of what I'm trying to share with you spiritually. Can you find that? Because you need to find that. There is something there that you can compare naturally to what you're trying to explain spiritually. When you can't find that, you might want to retreat and study your Bible and find that and then go back and explain it. So that's what I mean here when I say there should be a natural, physical illustration of spiritual truth of the plan of salvation and spiritual maturity. So when you go to someone and they say, just believe, tell me where in life that's a natural reality of, you know, saving something. All you got to do is just think it in your mind. The very first essential in the natural cycle of life is reality 
use in, in, is a reality usually taken for granted and overlooked or ignored. And so I am going to talk to you about the natural cycle of being born. Some of you have heard some of this before, but I want to talk to you about it again because the more you grow in Christ, the more impactful the word becomes because you have grown. And so when I explain to you the natural cycle of a, a baby being born, you'll probably have a really good sense now of what a complete spiritual birth is all about. And so that's where I'm going. Because what we want to do as we hear it is, I need to take it in for myself. Where am I in the birth process as a child of God? And how will I help someone understand where they are in the birth process of being born again? So it's working for both. Examine yourself to see where you are and then share with others so they can understand where they are and you can explain to them what it truly means to be born again. So let's start with this natural cycle so we all can understand the detail behind a natural cycle. A married couple have a strong desire to have a child. And notice I said a married couple. We're in church. A married couple have a strong desire to have a child. What is the first thing necessary in order for that child to be born to that married couple? And if I had time to mess with you, I'll mess with you. And for those of you that have never heard me before taught on this lesson, you probably wouldn't guess it. Because every time I've taught this lesson and, and, and I let people guess, they never guess. What is the first requirement for a married couple to have a baby? And so let me just go ahead and tell you real quick what that is. The very first thing is for there to be fertility. Nothing is before fertility. Because you can do everything you want. If there's no fertility, baby can't be born. There's no conception, I guess I should say. So first, fertility is the first thing, the first essential thing in the natural cycle for a baby to be born. Fertility. What is fertility? The state of being fertile. The ability to produce offspring or fruit. The potential to begin a cycle of life. So the very first requirement, the very first essential thing for a child to be born when a married couple decide we have to have a child, the very first thing is fertility. I, I challenge you to tell me what would be before that. Let me know after service or send it on um, through social media. Let me know what you think. If, if fertility is not first, then what is? All right. The second thing that's required for a child to be born when a married couple decide they want a child after fertility, it's then Planting of the seed. Planting of the seed. The expected result of the physical union, which scripture teaches to be righteous only within the bonds of marriage. So, let's say there is no fertility and the seed is planted. What happens, nurses? Nada. Zero. Zero. 
because we've heard that before over the years that babies didn't come. Why? Because there was no fertility, even though seeds was being planted. So the first thing for babies to be born in a marriage, fertility. The second thing is planting of seeds. The third thing that needs to happen is conception. So fertility, planting of seeds, bring about conception. The beginning of life that occurs as male and female seed unites in a fertile environment. So the conception is this, the beginning of life that occurs as male and female seed unite in a fertile environment. The life which is begun is not a sustaining life, but one which must be sustained. It does not have, I'm sorry, it does have the potential and the right to become a sustaining life. The fourth thing that must happen for a child to be born in marriage, the process, well, let me say what the fourth thing is. The fourth thing is gestation. Gestation. The process of growth and development which transformed or transforms the sustained life in the womb into a life capable of surviving in the outer world away from the supply of nutrients and protection provided within the womb. So gestation is when the, 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 the conception has already happened and now there's growth. And then this, 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 this conception now is, is turning into, you know, getting all the growth going on, arms and limbs and life and head and all that, that stuff is going good. And so that's the gestation process. During this process, the mother's body changes in preparation for nurturing the child after it leaves the womb. Isn't God awesome? Changes the woman's body so she can take care of her baby when the baby comes. It is rightly said that a woman is at the peak of beauty during this time. A wise father will prepare a sustainable environment for the child to be born into. The fifth thing that's required for a married couple to have a child is the breaking through the Sorry, doctor talk right there. That's going a little deep. That's the process in which the child and mother work together to bring the child through the walls of partition, which separate the child from the outer world, the breaking of the anatomic sac, and the opening of the birth canal are signals of the impending birth. This process is called the delivery. Delivery. So breaking through the barriers of separation, that's the fifth requirements, essential thing for the baby to be born, and that's called delivery. Somehow, in ways none of us remember, and no one has been able to determine, the child plays a significant part in the timing of this part of the birth process. 
So for the child to be born, that child plays a part. Some women, just being around women, I've heard the story, they try to speed up their delivery time. They know what to do. I'm not even going to mention it. Some of them have their little tricks that they do to speed up delivery process. But the point of the fact is that the child and the mother is supposed to work together for the child to be born. It's not one-sided. It's not just the woman pushed, and that's it. Child got to do something, too. The sixth thing in the process for a child to be born in a marriage, the breath of life. The culminating step of the whole birth process in which the child lungs are inflated by breathing in the atmosphere of the world into which the child has just passed. Prior to this step, the child depended on the mother's breath to sustain its life. Every time I read these things, I just all I can shake my head and say, God. All I can say is God. While the child is in the mother's womb, as she breathes, that's how the child breathes. And that's how life is sustained. But when the child comes through the birth process and comes into this world, the child now begins to breathe on its own without the mother. Notice, man was created on the sixth day. Six is commonly recognized as man's number. Six steps are required in a human birth. Six steps. When all six of these steps are completed, the birth experience is complete and a new life with the power to become a sustaining life has begun. But this life must be nurtured and then utilized. The seventh step. In a child being born in the institution of marriage is proper growth and training. Proper growth and training. This process of maturing and leading, I'm sorry, this process of maturing and learning the skills necessary for survival and communication that will enable the child to master the ways of life. So proper growth and training is how the child is nurtured, how the child learns, and how the child communicates so the child is able to live a sustaining, productive life. This is not an automatic process, but requires the cooperative efforts and investments of the child, the parents, and other family members and friends. God will even use enemies as tools to help build survival and communication skills into the child. This process begins in infancy, is the primary occupation of adolescence and continues well into maturity. The parents, family, and friends bear the initial responsibility for the success of this process. 
but the greatest responsibility eventually passes from them to the child. I want you to understand this. When a child is born, it's the parent's responsibility, yes, family members, to assist in the nurturing and the developing and the growth to maturity of this child, of this child. But at some point, the child becomes responsible for learning and living out what they're learning. This is why we understand how can a family of four children be so different? One does this, the other does that, the other does, and you know, what's going on? Because at the, at the age, at the point where they became responsible to learn on their own and apply what they learn, they all chose to do it differently. Nothing you can do. That's, that's a God thing. It has nothing to do with us. That's a God thing. Because remember what God is always after. He needs you to be an independent soul because you need to choose if you want to serve him or not. So at some point in time, you will become independent in how you learn and apply what you're learning. And that will determine how you live out your life. That's on you. It's not on your parents. It's on you. So however you turn out, at some point, it's on you if you were trained properly, if you were taught properly, if you had the right examples. It's on you what you become. Not on anybody else. The responsibility to learn. A child must be taught that he or she can learn. That he or she is responsible to learn. Young people, hear me. You are responsible to learn. Your parents, your teachers, your pastor, your Sunday school teachers, all the people you encounter that are teaching you, they can only teach you. You are responsible to learn what they're teaching you. You know what you learn by how you apply what you learn. Y'all might be going over to the spiritual already. If you're following this right now, you're probably going over to the spirit. You're like, oh, snap. Every chapter in the book of Proverbs contains at least one verse that places the responsibility for learning upon a child. While it is the responsibility of parents, family, and friends to teach the responsibility for progress in this step of life belongs to the child. So, yes, the parents teach. Yes, family members teach. Yes, friends teach. But it's still the responsibility of the child. Don't blame a teacher for a student's failure. I know some parents, their kids don't get good grades. I'm going up to this school because I don't know what that teacher teaches me. Stop, Mom. Stop, Dad. Your child have a responsibility to learn. And if they're not understanding, they need to go to the teacher or to whoever is teaching and says, I don't understand. Can you help me understand? 
fighting to cross over and not to go into spiritual right now. I'm feeling your natural. There are three distinct stages of development. Infants, which means you're selfish. But it's necessary. Why wouldn't an infant be selfish? They can't help themselves. The next stage, adolescents. Adolescents are selfish or selfless by necessity. So that's when you start, when you become an adolescent, you still have some selfishness in you, but you're learning to become a little bit more selfless. So that's where you're balancing selfishness and selflessness. Then, maturity, adulthood. That's when you become selfless by choice. When you are a mature adult, you become selfless by choice. You decide that I need to see what other people need and help them. You decide you're going to sacrifice so others can have. You decide that I'm going to serve others. You decide it as a mature adult. Until you make that decision, you're still vacillating between adolescence and adult. Talking about it now. Get me called for a few minutes. <laughs> Even our Lord Jesus passed through this process, the entire process. He passed through it. And I close tonight with the final step or cycle in a child being born in a marriage. The final stage or the final cycle is reproduction. Reproduction. What is reproduction? Reproduction is bringing a new generation to birth and to a level of maturity at least as high as that experience at the beginning of the present reproductive cycle. Listen to me carefully. Merely having children is selfish if you don't get them to maturity level. Merely having children don't attend to them don't help them get to that point of being mature and responsible and selfless is selfish. Mature parents do not strive to teach their children to love them, but rather to love their own children. So the way you deal with your children will tell them how to love their children when their children when they start having children. You follow what I'm saying? So the way you treat them, they understand, oh, because that's what they're learning. They're learning how to treat their children when they have a family, the way how you treat them. That's what you're doing. And that's what we're supposed to do. Reproduction brings the child to the maturity where it can also reproduce, thus increasing the family its potential, and its influence on the benefits to creation. The way of the world results 
in progressive degeneration. Each generation less able to survive and communicate, less mature and less selfish. So a lot of what we're seeing today is degeneration of what should be going on with our children because we're not teaching them how to mature and grow up. We're, we're, we're having them at a place where they don't communicate as much. Where they're still selfish and about them. Where they're into themselves. And we ought to teach them differently. This is the natural cycle of life for a child to be born in marriage. I hope you got all of that working in your brain. You had all that written down because next week we'll go into the spiritual cycle. And so we will compare because remember how we started out today. We said natural realities to learn spiritual truths. I just gave you natural reality of a baby being born and now we're going to apply spiritual truth to all of that for every step we just fulfilled today we're going to find every step I'll, I'll give you I'll cheat a little bit and tell you we went through eight cycles for how a child must be born naturally it will be eight cycles to how someone should be born spiritually Let's stand. Any questions before we close out tonight? We're going through this to learn it. And then we're going to apply it to our life, to ourself. And then we'll take it and help others with it. Because as you can see, our nation and our world need help. And the best way we can help is by sharing the word of God is by living this life as an example, is by demonstrating the love of God, is by letting our light shine. That's what we need to do. That's our role we play in all of this. There are other people that will play different roles, but I'm telling you the church role is to live out this life so people can see Jesus, so people can see that there's a better way, so people can know that there's a hope so people can know that they don't have to be the way they are. That's our life that we need to live out, to share the gospel so somebody can say, oh, my goodness, you're telling me life can be better than this? Yes, it can, but this is the way it needs to be done, and we need to let them know. Why aren't you up in arms about all of what's going on? Because I lean and I trust in Jesus, because my hope is in Jesus. Because this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasure's all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so that's what my focus is on. But I want to help as many people as I can help get there and not have their hope in this world where if things go wrong in this world, you can't function because everything that you have built up is here. That's what we're live out because when your hope and everything is in Jesus my goodness everything don't overtake you everything don't just get you distraught and make you dysfunctional 
you understand what's going on. And you get on your knees. You begin to pray. And you begin to live this life on purpose in love. Let people see the love of God. Let them wonder. You're telling me people can love like that? Yes, they can. It's our responsibility to be the children of God in this day and age like we've never been and let our light shine bright so we can help others so they can see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful privilege of being in the kingdom of God, for being the children of God. Father, I thank you for just instructing us tonight. Allow your word to take root into our hearts, to grow and produce good fruit. Father, I pray that we will not allow any of these teachings escape us, that we will not neglect it, Lord God, and that, Lord, we can truly absorb your word and carry it out, Lord God, and let it work in our lives and through us, Lord God. I pray tonight, Father, that all of us here will take heed to what we've heard and that, God, we will not just be hearers only, but we will become doers as well. Uh, my God, I pray that the Holy Ghost will begin to quicken us. The Holy Ghost will begin to stir us in such a way that we will be compelled to live righteously, compelled to live holy, compelled, oh God, to be righteous, compelled, almighty God, to show your love wherever we are, compelled to share the gospel, oh God. I pray that we as your children will rise up like we've never risen up, Lord God, to show forth the glory of God. Lord, strengthen us. Will you give us boldness and courage like we've never had to speak your word, Lord God, with clarity. Oh God, I pray that you will fill us with your wisdom, your knowledge, and your understanding, that as we speak your truth, we will speak it in wisdom. Oh. God bless your people tonight, Lord. They are precious people. They belong to you. And, oh, God, whatever you designed us to do, whatever we were created in your eyes to do, Lord God, will you work your work in us and through us that we will fulfill ye your joy. We thank you for allowing us to come together tonight. We pray, oh, God, that you'll bless us individually and collectively. And, oh, God, that you'll keep us, protect us, guide us in Oh, God, let no harm nor danger come to us. Until we come back together again, we will continue to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. For you are truly our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Have a great night.